Hello and welcome, Furidashi listeners. Nicholas here. So last year we did a special behind-the-scenes episode, and since well for our Patreon subscribers anyway, and since Lauren is still en route from the Furidashi research bunker somewhere in Antarctica, um, we were unable to record this week. She will be back next week for more fun shenanigans. Um, but until then, enjoy this free episode. Um, and for our Patreon subscribers, I'm going to be doing something very special uh, later on this week. So if you're listening to this now and you want to know what that is, you're going to have to go and sign up. That's Furidashi. Uh, sorry, that's patreon.com forward slash Furidashi. And now, here's the episode. What's a typical day like for you? Uh, how do I put this? Okay, you know, girls... You know how when you just get so mad and frustrated that you just want to scream into a pillow, you know, when you're mad at your mom? Well, I guess you could say for our player community, I'm kind of like their mom. And the pillow. You're super nice. Oh. I want to do what you do. No! No. 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 <laughs> And welcome to the Patreon episode. I'd like to say a big hello to Secret Squad. I am, as always, here with Lauren. And this is the continuation of our one-year anniversary special, our belated one-year anniversary special. And for the for, for Secret Squad, for you guys, for the, the best, the best ones. Don't don't tell the freebies. Don't tell them that you're the best ones, but you're the best ones. But, but you're the best ones. <laughs> um, so for this episode, um, we want to do sort of so previously we talked about sort of the high-level stuff and sort of like, like continuations of our arguments from things that we said in the past. But we thought that maybe you guys would want um a bit of sort of like background as to like how we produce this, how terribly we are how, how bad we are <laughs> at editing audio and video and how it just generally how like, just terrible we are we're just, <laughs> just horrible humans how, we're just how gonna crappy, spend the whole episode how how bad you should feel because you pay for this <laughs> no we wanted to get into some of the behind the scenes stuff and like how we like conceptualize episodes like how we produce them and just generally have a kind of chill moment to hang out with you guys so we want you all to sit back we have beverages we have snacks Lauren is eating a scone right now. You can't see that, but she is. Um, it's a good I, scone too. It's a blueberry scone with some lemon. <laughs> I was eating some peanut M&Ms. So go get yourself a tasty drink while you sit back and listen to the dulcet tones of Nicholas and Lauren and drive-by radio. Wait, did I say drive-by radio? I meant to say drive-by radio. So that, that's the first. <laughs> that's the first. That's the first chill thing. That's the first peak you get into the behind the scenes is all the things that I say. In COVID. Yeah. I meant to say drive yeah. time. Yeah. Welcome to Drive Time Radio. I'm your host, Lauren Ash, here with Nicholas. Hello, Lauren. How are you doing this evening? 
We're, we're doing we're, three. We're, we're <laughs> now do it's AM, evening. We're going to do it. Like, <laughs> are we AM radio wait, wait, or are we PM radio? Oh, yeah, well, no, we're AM. We're AM on the dial. So so it's like, you know, 520 AM as our like, you know, as the frequency. But we could be like, Foodie Dashi after dark. Thank you for joining us, everybody. It's like laid back, get yourself a drink and sit down and relax with Lord and Nicholas. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I what's so so Lauren, um, what what do we do? How do we how do we how do we do this? How how we do? How, how we do? How we do? All right. So something that we always thought about doing was like a kind of behind the scenes inside picture. And so on our first year, one year anniversary uh, episode, we kind of started the day or this recording session, right, with kind of like a list of like, hey, what are our you know top episodes? Yep. Right. What are our top episodes? Right. Uh, what are arguments that we could have made that were kind of bigger about, like, you know, more in depth about it. Yep. And what is an episode that we like actually really enjoyed that really made us have deep thoughts. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know, um, in psychology, especially in like, I don't know, leadership training and, and all of that, like, you know, bourgeoisie, like CEO stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that have come to light are kind of like deep thought, right. And the finite mindset versus the infinite mindset. Yep. And so you'll probably hear it popularized by Simon Sinek, uh, who is, if you don't know, is also the golden circle, right? That's kind of where he got his start with start with why it was his first book. Um, and now you have a lot of other like leaders and a lot of other thought people on YouTube that are kind of like, we need to play the infinite game and we need to have these deep thoughts and these discussions and blah, blah, blah. And no, and, and I think Sorry. that this is actually a, this is a perfect example, actually, yeah. of kind of where we start, right, in our, in our in our daily recording sessions is that we always take these inspirations from kind of, you know, ridiculous things, whether it's like, yeah. you know, I was watching Bake Off the other day. Or, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Or, or you know, like, um, you know, oh, my daughter did something really cool or we're playing this game. Yeah. And I think that that's kind yeah. of really when you think about it even though we were like, okay, what are our more popular episodes? Like, or how do, how do we define popular? Right. Like that could yeah. be, that could be a thing for us. Yeah. It's really about taking inspiration from other places and then kind of connecting those other inspirations to game design. For me, I am really into like, I don't know, productivity, leadership theory, and motivational theory. So deep thought is something that is just like, instead of thinking about something being like, Oh, that's cool. And then you like pick up your phone and you start chatting to your friends on discord. Right. Yeah. Or you text somebody it's really sitting with that thought and thinking like, why is that thought interesting? Why yeah. was it interesting to me? Yeah. And it's beyond the, well, I thought it was cool. I've never thought about it before. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, obviously you've never thought about it before because it was interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, why was it interesting? Kind of right. So, yeah. so whenever we get to that deep thought level, that's when we start kind of heading record where we're like, oh, why are we both angry that there's no such thing as a radio pre-G? Yeah, that, that yeah, there is that is a thing that we we tend to do almost we never intended to do this, but we we start getting into a discussion and then one or both of us realize like, oh wait, no, we should actually just be recording this. We should just start right now. So we stop. And then we, you know, go back, you know, do the intro bit that we always do and then sort of like make a nice segue back into the conversation that we were already having. And I think that's really kind of important for you guys to understand is that like when you're listening to the podcast, you are sort of like getting in medias race and um, a conversation we're already having. So one of the things that we have tried to model for all of you is like the process of our thinking. So instead of just like, we don't, I mean, we have ideas about like what we're going to talk about, we plan it out, 
but we don't come up with like, you know, and it's like, it's going to be five minutes on this. It's going to be five minutes on this. And then we're going to, we're going to make sure we hit this beat and this beat and this beat and this beat. It's more like in many ways, how ideas are brought out, like in a classroom setting. And it's one of the reasons why we want to do more classroom type stuff, because if you think about it, you know, in a classroom setting, you might've had like a reading assignment, or you might've had like something you had to look at beforehand, but the expectation, especially like in the more like humanities classroom is that you come to class with something to say or something to talk about, but not necessarily like a perfectly formed argument. And so then the idea is that in conversation with other people, be it with your teacher, or in this case, you know, between Lauren and myself or whoever we happen to have on as a guest, we sort of bring out certain ideas through that kind of dialectical process. And that process is really important to us. And so the reason why we start recording at that moment is because we want to show you the process rather than the finished product. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of crucial, right? Is that a lot of podcasts do have these arguments or do have beats and then and, and those are really instructive, right? I think yes. it is really instructive to have like, this is the argument and this is the thought that we want to kind of do. Yeah. But when it comes to game design theory and it comes to humanities, it is really important that a lot of you may have come from, right? Even in art school, you come and you are expected to have, right? A perfect art piece, like music composition yeah. or, um, you know, and especially in computer science or in like hard science and biology and microbiology and organic chemistry, like there are right and wrong answers. And I could never get into that type of field of study because <laughs> um, I am not very big on right and wrong answers. Um, the way I like to say it for all of my listeners now, uh, the way I like to say it to my sister or to my, uh, I have a family of doctors. Everyone was doing something medical um, or construction workers, which yeah. with doctors and construction workers in my like heritage, it's everything has to be precise, right? The prescriptions yes. that you give to people or the construction measurements that you have to build when you architect people's houses. If you're not precise, the house falls down or the person dies. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That is like way stress. Uh, so I was <laughs> like, I want a program that I can just kind of bullshit my way through and study wherever <laughs> well, I want. That's now that's not you. what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren is being very unfair to herself, but I, I'm here for it. So go ahead. <laughs> That's, that's, in my opinion, that is, that is what I did. Now, I guess it is unfair. I guess I did do things and stuff. And like, I have a dual major and a dual minor technically. Um, Well, also, okay. So So, I want to, I want to break down what you said a little bit, because I know you, I don't know you better than you know yourself, but I do know you pretty well. So the thing is, but you, you work in a creative field, but you also work, and this came out in our conversation with um, Masao last time, is that video games are sort of strange because like it is a creative field but is a creative field built upon something that is very like technologically rigid so like when you're talking about programming and when you're talking about software because ultimately video games are primarily software so you have this weird like dialectical relationship between sort of like the 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 fungible creative aspects and the not terribly fungible, like underlying, like software architecture that you have to deal with. That's right. Ha- it's true. Yeah. And so you have to kind of make those two work with each other. So while Lauren isn't necessarily coming, like, so actually, should we talk a little? I mean, we've alluded to our individual backgrounds before, but I mean, your background at Iowa, I mean, part of the reason why you came to study at Iowa and I met you in the first place is because of creative writing. You wanted to be more explicitly creative in the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I came to Iowa. It's actually really interesting. So I, like for me, it's interesting that, um, you know, I also, 
uh, as precise and as self-directed as I am and how, you know, self-directed, I tell people to be like fight against the status quo, like, yeah. you know, choose your own destiny, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, all that free will <laughs> bullshit. Um, at the end of the day, I, I honestly say that like, I follow the path of the universe or I walk the road that God lays before me. Yeah. And I say that because the only reason why I discovered that the University of Iowa existed was that I bummed a ride for a friend to get coffee up to a job fair or a college fair <laughs> yeah, in yeah, Joplin, yeah. Missouri. Yeah. Um, I actually went to high school in Missouri. I did not grow up there. That would be unfair to myself yeah. and uh, too fair to Missouri. <laughs> and I, we go to this job fair. I'm walking around with like, I forgot a bag or something. Cause I'm walking around with like my phone and my, like I wore men's jeans. So I had pockets and I'm carrying like a notepad and a pen. And this person comes up to me and they're like, you look like a writer. And I'm like, was it cause I was carrying a notebook or something? Like I have no idea, <laughs> but I, I look over and that was the only thing I wanted to do with my life at the time was I wanted to be a writer. And when people yeah. said, oh, so you're going to be a journalist. I'd be like, no. And when I told them I was studying English, they were going to go, oh, you're going to be a teacher. And I was like, no. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to be a writer. And they're like, what are you going to write? If you're not going to write journal, like articles about the news or yeah. teach English. I was like, I'm going to write, I don't know, anything I want, like yeah. get off my back because I didn't know what I wanted to write yet. I just knew I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. And this guy basically goes, oh, you look like a writer. And so I walk over and it's a University of Iowa booth with this really elderly man who's like six foot five, definitely 70 something. I mean- yeah like the thinning, bald, white, professory recruiting, recruiting officer thing. I don't know. He just, he, I think I actually very... know who this is and I'm not going to reveal who it is. Okay. okay. Anyway, so this is man. And he's yeah. like, we have, uh, our English department is number one in the world. We have the top creative writing program in the entire United States, the city of literature. And at the time that I enrolled, the creative writing program was actually number one or number three in the entire world for yes. English writing. So for those of you who don't know, I, the University of Iowa actually created the very first MFA, mm -hmm. period, ever. So for it, creative writing. Yep. So yeah, so it's an extremely prestigious university when it comes to sort of like, I mean, many, 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 many very famous authors that you would know came out of the MFA program at the University of Iowa. So it's a big deal. It's it yeah. And that deal. is exactly what I wanted to do. I was going to go do an MFA and they had an undergraduate program that you trained basically under the MFA requirements as an undergrad yeah. um, and got your, I don't even know if it's a BFA or a BA. I don't, it's I don't a B, remember It's a anymore. BA. They don't actually have a it's BFA. It's just a BA. Yeah. It's just yeah. a BA uh, in creative writing and you train in a particular discipline and you have to test into the discipline and the closest, the earliest you can get to is your second semester of your sophomore year. Yeah. And most people don't, most people do not mm -hmm. qualify because you're, that's the minimum, right? And yeah. you have to meet not only the university's requirements to test into this program, but you also have to meet the program's requirements. So the university requirements are basically, you need to be a junior level. Yeah. And if you have coming in with credits, I was actually at a junior level, my sophomore year of university. And so for those of us who are any inner, if we have international listeners, um, there are freshmen, sophomore, junior, senior for United States colleges. Yeah. Freshman basically means uh, year one of your yeah. post like high school degree, year two, year three, year four. In my second semester of my year two, they said I had already met the requirements for year three. Um, and so that is actually what allowed me to to apply for the program in the spring semester yeah. instead of the fall semester. Um, and I actually got in on my first try. Um, which I didn't know was hard. 
uh, <laughs> I guess it was. Yes. It um, is. But and I also got in for my screenwriting and not for what I wanted to get in, which is my <laughs> fiction writing. Um, I got in for just my dialogue and my screenwriting because I read up a play about like a uh, the fifth son of like a like brothel family or something. I don't I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. Or of a theater troupe. But I have to I bring that up because Iowa was for creative writing. As for me, I also then went to to Guildhall for I actually ended up getting a technology uh, master's instead of a, a fine arts because yeah. I realized that in order to get the same type of precision into video games, you have to be technical Yes, and you can't just be a writer. And I'd also kind of gone through the writing program. And to be fair, uh, I was very recommended from the people that were in the MFA program. They basically told me that um, I wouldn't get anything from it. And when someone who's in an MFA program telling you not to go into the writing program because you would be wasting your time. Um, I mean, I was actually kind of disincentivized from being a writer, <laughs> even though I guess maybe it was a compliment now that I say it out loud. Well, it's it's a little it's well, it, it's also just a recognition of the fact that like the MFA program here, because, you know, I am here so I can say here um, is a very specific kind of thing. And. I mean, it's partially to dissuade students from like getting their hopes up because they might think that like, you know, if they apply and don't get in that like that's somehow a negative, like it's actually a negative comment on them when really it could just be like, well, no, it's just that the thing we do isn't really the thing you want to do. And that's yeah, why you weren't admitted. Well, I never applied. No, no, I, no, I, that, no yeah. I, I know in your case, it's different, but I'm, I'm saying I think that's the mindset. It's like it's trying to like communicate to students that like this thing is a specific thing it's not just like this is the program for to become a writer it's this is the program for to become a writer in a particular way and if yeah. you want to do other things in the way that you very much do like the kind of writing that you do now is of a very like in narrative systems design you're not a writer in the same way that so like colson whitehead is a writer you're not i mean you're both working I'm not a with, literary author i yeah, mean yeah. Right. And, yeah. and honestly, like, that's why my fiction never got me into any of the fiction courses or my nonfiction yeah. didn't either, because my nonfiction was uh, probably like it was either a little too personal or it was a little too like. I, I was a travel writer at the time as well, so like it was probably yeah. like too like international. Um, and then uh, my fiction was science fiction and fantasy. So like yeah. that was just abhorred. Um, <laughs> yeah, but kinda. my like red writing hood like sci-fi <laughs> script play thing like that was okay because <laughs> it was a play people don't make plays <laughs> <laughs> okay but okay but to, anyway but to get, anyway yeah okay. so, so let's, to get back let's to dial it. back dial back that was a really fun yeah. tangent uh thank you for letting me have that well, the reason I really why like i wanted to bring it up is precisely because like so when you guys are listening to one of our episodes it may seem at times like, you know, Lauren is the like hardcore, like, oh, I'm in game design. I am a robot. I only think about how to manipulate numbers. Whereas I'm the like, hey guys, like, man, I was like reading Foucault and it's like, wow, there's like some ideas. And then I was like playing a game and I was like, whoa, like, what I'm if like, this? Whoa, I am the giant eyeball in the forest. <laughs> like, what have you thought about how like, you know, when you and your avatar, you're not like the same, like that's like a representation of yourself. Like, whoa, no, that's actually not really what we are. Like in many ways, both of us sort of have like degrees of 
So we talked about, you know, the split in game design between sort of like, you know, there's the creative aspect and then there's sort of like the hard technological aspect and the way those two have to communicate with each other. That's actually true of us as well. So for those of you who don't know, all of the like technical stuff with regards to the production of the podcast, I do. <laughs> because I was the one who was actually so um a little bit about my personal background. I mean, yeah, I, let's please go into that because yeah. they're at this point, they're either going one. Uh, we don't think you guys are that caricatures of yourself. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, and two, they're probably yeah. going, wait, did Nicholas just say that he's the one that does all the technical shit and Lauren does not? And I was like, yes. For the most <laughs> part, yes. I mean, not exclusively, but like if it's like a it's like an 80-20 split in, in this regard. So like I do all of the editing of the audio. Um, I do the editing of you know the videos that we put up on YouTube. I'm the one who does, you know, the streaming. So yeah, I do a lot of it. But the reason why is because even though I like did my PhD in comparative literature and I have very much that like, you know, airy fairy, like very sort of lit crit focused like humanities background. Um, when I was a high school student, um, the my part time job, the way I, that I made money is that I did unprofessional sort of like semi professional um, sound and lighting design. Um, for theater companies, but then also for um, for bands at clubs and so forth. Um, I think I can admit this now. I was usually getting paid under the table because it was sort of a CD <laughs> business arrangement. But um, it meant it was a back alley sound designer. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. Whenever 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 I got paid, it was always in like you know filthy twenties that had been like stuffed into an envelope and slid under the table. No, I I got paid in a. I got paid in a legitimate manner. It was declared on my taxes, et cetera, et cetera. But it was, it always felt a little weird because it was freelance. And so like, you know, I worked on certain things like, you know, I worked a cheap trick show one year, which was very boring. And by the way, the members of cheap trick are really obnoxious. I did not like enjoy them whatsoever, but uh, it was cheap trick is a band. A band. So everyone is yeah. it, just, so, just for all the youth <laughs> out there. If you don't know that that's a band, yeah, it's, it's a pretty old band now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, so I have a lot of experience working with um, like audio design and like my setup at home for like audio recording is, is very elaborate because like in order to satisfy me, it needed to be pretty elaborate. Um, yeah, so that's, so that the point that I'm trying to make is that like Lauren and I both have the like airy fairy, like creative slash humanity stuff and the hard technical stuff. We're always looking at things from both perspectives. And so the reason why it's not just like we're good for talking about these things because we're friends and we can communicate with each other well, but we're also good for talking about these things precisely because we ourselves represent and model that divide that already exists within video game production. And so similarly, when we produce the podcast and that thing that I was talking about earlier, where we prefer to sort of like begin from an idea and sort of work it out through discussion, like that is also how you do video game production as well. You don't yeah. just like, you may think that like, you know, someone comes up with like a design document and then everybody's just like, bam, 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 bam. But in practice, like that's the ideal. And in many ways, like directors would prefer that it work that way no but directors it, will not prefer that it work that way your engineering lead will engineering, prefer that yeah, it work yeah, down that true. way yeah the directors are like we're so happy your documentation is so good here <laughs> is so excellent we're actually not gonna show it off because it's just it's just that good that we're gonna put a pause and we're gonna hide it 
and then we'll just like do it next time in a milestone. And I'm like, that's great. But are you going to give me the resources so that I can do that? Are you going to, you going to give me that money and or people and yeah, or, and, and, and then my of- engineering leads, like, does that mean your document's not valid and we can't like work on it? And I was like, well, no, <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but I mean, yeah, but also like, it's just, it's, it's deferring, right. It's deferring yeah. that thing. Well, and also because video and you you know this, Lauren, and you can go into it if you want, but like it's a collaborative process. And also like similarly in the way that in the same way that like a video game is kind of a dialectic between sort of like creative and hard technological forces, video game production is also often a, a, a very real dialogue between people who are more creatively minded and people who are more technically minded. And when a video game production, when video game production works well, those people understand how to communicate with each other. And when it breaks down, it's usually because those people don't really communicate yeah. with each other. No, well. absolutely. And that's also was kind of the focus of my thesis when I went into the master's program was how does the story or the creative aspects right, of the game communicate with the more rigid mechanical systems of the game? Yep. And that is why it's called ludonarrative or ludonarrative harmony or ludonarrative dissonance or ludonarrative residence, right? And I actually went in and defined maybe a little bit too much. That was my academic airy fairy coming out. Like what's the difference between cohesion? What's the difference between resonance? What's the difference between harmony? Right. And I truly going into music theory, because I was also, I was actually in band. Um, I actually studied voice as well. I was like a professional, I wasn't a professional singer, but I studied under a professional singer for musicals and for theaters. Um, So I had like that Broadway voice. I guess I still do. I don't know, (laughs) Um, but I've been professionally trained as as a vocal star. I guess. And then I also was a conductor. So I conducted uh, my band as well. Um, So when our, basically when our band director, right. Or the the band conductor couldn't direct. I I did that because I was the drum major, which is the marching band field conductor is another time for that. So I was a field conductor and a like classical conductor during my, my youth. But I, (laughs) and I bring up the, I bring up that music aspect though, right. Is that it's, that's music is very creative, right. When you think of music and you think of all of that, you think, oh, like composition or you're creating emotion. And that's very important in game design. But if you talk to anybody who's very technical minded, they'll be like, that's not emotion. That's the VFX being triggered after the node that says when like a sound cue plays, yeah. like it's just five nodes together. And, yeah. and honestly, as you know, coming from, I guess, my science parents and my scientific background, like that's where I actually find a lot of joy is knowing that people can cry because I put five nodes together in some blueprint graph in Unreal <laughs> or in some script in Unity, yeah. right? And suddenly someone cries because they're like, oh, that was triggered at the right moment. And really it's just five lines of write, like of writing, five lines yeah. of code, yeah, right? And all of a sudden you get someone going, I can't believe that just happened. Like that's magic to me, right? Like that's the process of game design. Yeah, And I know we're kind of going into the process of game design and it feels strange. It's like a behind the scenes. Here's how we think episode. But yeah, that's how we think. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's our ideal or hypothesis or something that we take from the outside world. And we're like, man, this makes me think of games differently. Yeah. So actually, yeah. So let's go back to that, that point about like how what you see in the podcast really sort of reflects things from our own life. And it's not just like. You know, so like when we did the the free to play episode, which is a very good episode, which you should go back and listen to. We're not going to discuss it now because I think that was it free to it was a free to role play. Free to role play. You're right. Free to role play. play When we were discussing that episode, it was primarily because I had just finished watching um, uh, Tokyo Joshizukan, which I believe is Tokyo Woman in English. 
anyway, but that's what the Japanese title is. Anyway, it's a story about a woman who sort of like starts off her career and then it goes through like her her entire career and then all of the places in Tokyo that she lives at various stages in her career. And then in the final episode, there's this really amazing bit in which she talks about how her life has progressed in the terms of a role-playing game. And it was really sort of like fascinating to sort of think about how like we oftentimes like internally, like when you're talking about a video game, you sort of like internalize its logic and you sort of, you can immerse yourself in its world, but it's not quite as common to then think about like how the logic that you adopt there gets then applied back to your own life. And this is something that we harp on again and again and again is the way in which like one's life interacts with what you're doing in game and what you're doing in game interacts with your life. So it's not just about like, oh, hey, while I watch this show, let's talk about it in that way that podcasts often work, but that like we're working through this long extended process of like, how do we conceptualize where video games fit within like an entire human system? And so every single episode that you listen to is a piece of that. And so when we talk about the way our lives relate to what we're talking about in a given episode, it's not just because like, oh, we didn't come up with anything for this week. Let's talk about that. It's because we're sort of slowly building out this conceptual system in which we try to model for you how this works. And that's always sort of in the background of our minds. Like how, how do we model for you a particular mode of thinking about this? Like, because otherwise, what would be the point of doing this podcast? If we're not doing something that is genuinely novel and useful to people, then it's like, well, then ultimately it's just me and Lauren hanging out. And that's great. I love hanging out with Lauren. And maybe you guys love listening to it. But we like to think that it's a little bit more than that. Yeah. And to kind of help break down the free to role play episode that we did, that we'll link into the description below as well for you guys to go back and look at that. The argument there for the relatability to your own lives uh, is going to come from a personal story here that I'm going to tell pretty shortly um, or like as short as I possibly can. Um, in that someone, I was out to dinner with my uh, significant other's lead, who actually was the final say in getting him hired, which I didn't know until we had this uh, lunch together. And we're all drinking and we're all eating. And like, it's at a German bar that I hadn't been to in like two years now because it was a panini. And he says, like, he realizes that we were, we've been dating for over a year, which means we actually started at this company and, and dated like before then. Yeah. And he was so surprised because he was like, oh, you guys have been dating like a year. And he was like, oh my God. Right. And he goes, oh, and he looks at me and he's like, I am so excited for your personal growth. Like in my personal life. And I never had someone say, this is a great guy, by the way. So like, it, it, I actually know I'm like, we're friends. This is fine. Yeah. It's not like the stranger that I'm just. <laughs> this is random. I am so excited for your personal no. growth. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I am so excited for your personal growth. Like yeah. you both like have this company, like you're both, you know, this is company is a very competitive salary. It's a very great place to work. Honestly, he thought we had just met and that we had just started dating. Now he's realizing that we've been dating longer. And in his brain, I can just read in his face that he's like, oh my gosh, like, it's going to be so cool to watch you like, maybe like move in together and you live in the city and then maybe like you guys are going to have an anniversary and then maybe he's going for prom. Like I can just see this guy going yeah, through yeah. the progression. The stages of, of your life. Yeah, it literally. The like stages the, yeah, of your it, life, yeah, exactly. literally, right? Yeah. And I think that's the relatability here is that when we watched, um, when Nicholas was watching this television show, she ended it with, you know, I have acquired my 
my ring, my career, yeah. my apartment, all the items. My, yeah. All, all the, the items, items and yeah. locations that I need to live a good life in Tokyo. And this guy in the real world is looking at me, right. And going, Oh my gosh, you have just entered this new level of your life. Right. And I think that's, what's funny is that some of you might be thinking, Oh, I I'm used to referring to that as a new chapter of my book. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, what the <laughs> metaphors that we use to describe our lives are the same metaphors of the popular media yeah. and commercial consumption of things. Oh, this is the next season arc of my story. This is the next episode. Right. Oh, what a sitcom yeah. this uh, situation is. Right. You don't talk about your life in this weird abstract, you know, metaphor, completely devoid of all media. Yeah. And if you do, you are living like Thoreau in the woods. Um, and, and for those who don't know, in the sense that like your, your sister is bringing you food whenever you need it. And you're like, you know, a mile from town and you can walk in. And you're and a mile from town and you can walk in, <laughs> but you are in the woods. Wow. So far it's like you're living in East Bay. I'm um, sorry. Uh, Bay area joke there. Um, But I mean, I think that, I think that's really important, right? Is that when we look at video game design, at least on this podcast, and we do talk about it and we do ramble and we talked about our backstories. Um, Mine was probably a little too long. Sorry about that. No, it was great. Um, And I I think that it's really important to realize that the people that we are, the things that we do and the literature that we consume, whether that literature is a book right? Or that literature is you playing Uncharted or Last of Us or, or Call of Duty Warzone, right? Um, it is something that you are going to look back at your life and take to another movie that you see. Yeah. And you're going to get up and go to the restroom because you're going to go, oh, I don't need to see the part where he, you know, does that stairwell chase and defeats all the bad guys. Yeah. Or like, oh, I can already tell that, you know, this twist is going to happen so I can go get a refill on popcorn. <laughs> like it's that type of mentality, right? That yeah. not everyone has. And I'm honestly, maybe not everyone should, right? <laughs> but that yeah, at least yeah. on this podcast, we have that mentality and we hope that we don't ruin the magic of playing the games for you, but we at least kind of show you how that magic operates. Well, I don't think we ruin it at all. I would I would suggest that like what we're doing is providing for you, like even if you're not necessarily a game designer, like in many, oftentimes we sort of fall into this trap, you know, in like in conceptualizing our episodes where like we feel like we're addressing some like hypothetical dev, whether it's like our hapless level designer or whatever. But even if you're not that person, even if you have no interest in game design, even if you have no interest in going into the industry, it's still worthwhile to think about the games you play, the media that you consume in this way, precisely because it's about integrating it into like an entire life system, an entire, like an entire way of seeing the world, rather than it just being a diversion. For us, it's more meaningful to have this perspective on the media that we consume and especially and especially on the video games that we talk about precisely because that draws greater significance to them and so to to end maybe on like a sort of a personal note for the podcast not a personal note for like us individually um where lauren and i were at in our own lives when we started this podcast was extremely up in the air um Lauren was just finishing up the previous job that she had held for a very long time. Um, I was moving from Syracuse to Iowa. Um, I have since like left my job at Syracuse and I can't talk about my new job. Um, But the thing is like now through the podcast, we have gotten to a place where 
were not only more stable, but also like we, we reconnected with each other. We sort of reconnected with like what is valuable about like thinking critically. We reconnected with like, you know, people out there who have been listening. We have connected with like, you know, babby devs who like i, I personally i want to so if, if any of the babby devs are listening to the patreon episode i personally want to say like i love talking to you <laughs> i'm actually getting a little emotional saying this um yeah i can see his face you can't see his face right now but i can see his face it so really it means is. it means a lot to me personally because i hate the academy so much but the one thing that i have never ever 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 hated about teaching are my students because I don't even think I can finish the fucking episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, if you guys could see his face right now, basically Nicholas is just trying to say that like, you know, the academy and the institution, it's true. I had this existential kind of dread when I realized that certain programs, especially at the university levels and at the academy are better for minorities than others. And some take advantage of minority developers and putting them into academy-like programs that may set them up for a cool student game that's novel, but then doesn't actually give them the skills that they need to get into AAA, which is their ultimate goal. Yep. Where other programs are situated as, we'll give you the skills to get into AAA, but only if you choose the easiest ones to teach being right programming yeah, yep. or, or art or animation yep. um, and even others, right. will go so far as to say, but only if you can pay like a hundred thousand dollars, which as you know, from critical race theory, if you are <laughs> a minority American in the yeah. world uh, or even in, in the, or an immigrant, right. Coming here, right. Yeah. Or an international student. I mean, yeah, only if you decide to get into debt with the United States government will we decide to teach you the skills necessary to succeed in life. And I think that that's what we hate, right? Yes, exactly. Man, the developers coming out of those programs are just, I don't want to be like perfect because nobody's perfect, but I mean, it's just quintessentially new and innovative yes. and, and it pushes the industry forward in a way that truly mass market appeal games just cannot. Um, and it sometimes will not because no one will invest in them. And it sucks to say that no one's investing in our, our students or our youth. Man, wow, am I like that old person now? <laughs> um, but like it, it, when you have to invest in yourself, you're going to create yeah. something that is truly more innovative than those that get investment from others. And so to all of the students out there and the, the lifelong learners, people that are students, I went to my master's program, had someone who was 45 years old to complete it. So I just want you to be aware that it's not an age. Being a student is not an age. Yeah. So when we say baby developers, you can be 70, you can be seven, yep. you can be 17. Okay. Yep. Uh, all good. You're all the same baby developer and we love you all. Um, and you are really moving things forward. And thank you for listening. If you are listening out there and if you're not a baby developer and you have nothing to do with it, like remember for those students or the smaller projects that you see, Look at them knowing that those are the people that are trying to change the course. Let's yes, play those games. Go go on itch right now. Find the weirdest, most random game that was made by a couple of people who have like pronouns that you have never heard of before. They may be trans. They may be a minority. Like they may just come from a completely different culture, but they are doing the sorts of things that will transform how you think about games they are doing it the games themselves are often broken <laughs> in very bizarre ways but the brokenness can be fun as well and i really really want you to go play those yeah. games i love playing those games yeah and even more importantly is if you start playing an experience that you can't relate to keep playing that experience because yes. honestly there are a lot of experiences out there that are the same 
and they appeal to a lot of people. And I'm going to put that in heavy scare quotes because they appeal (laughs) to a lot of a certain mass market demographic. We don't have to talk about. Um, (laughs) But if you start, if you start playing an experience that you're like, I don't relate to this. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I don't like it. You should keep playing it. And you should start to have that critical thought about, you know, do what we did on this episode and kind of break down, well, where did I come from? Yeah. What am I bringing to the table? And maybe what did, where did this person have to come from to create a piece of content that's like this? Mm-hmm.